Many thanks for joining us for this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd and I'm an, I'm an associate editor at Heart and I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor James Moon from University College London and Dr. Or Professor Moon is also the director of imaging at the new Barts Heart Centre. James, many thanks for joining us today on the Heart Podcast. Thank you, James. James, you've published recently a comprehensive review of cardiac MRI in Heart, along with a couple of co-authors, Gabriella Captur and Charlotte Manistry. And there's a lot of interest in this paper online. The download numbers are, are very high. And I thought it'd be useful to get you on the podcast, really talk about some areas of cardiac MR that people might not be aware of, perhaps things that have changed over the last four or five years, if that's okay. Great, yes. Uh, one of the areas I'm interested in particularly is the latest on the mapping technologies that you talk about. So uh, I guess most of the audience know that cardiac MR is superb for telling us more about the structure and the function of the heart, valvular disease, etc. And late gadolinium enhancement has now become embedded in, in uh, clinical guidelines. But what about mapping? What does mapping mean and what might it be useful for? Okay, so when we take pictures of the heart, we're trying to detect a signal that we can use to improve the care of patients. And whilst we can see the structure and the function of the heart with ever more detail, our drugs and therapies uh, specifically target various pathways in the metabolism, especially of heart muscle. And we don't really see those pathways with conventional imaging. Now, the late GAD was great because it started us to be able to see scar or at least um, interstitial expansion, edema, amyloid and uh, fibrosis. Actually, it visualizes the water associated with those things, the extracellular water. But we need more. Mapping is where... Um, you visualize a piece of the heart in the short axis view, for example, and each pixel of that image is color-coded with the magnetic properties. And there are um, intrinsic mag magnetic properties, T1, T2, and T2 star. And there's also uh, the extracellular volume, which you can derive by measuring before and after the addition of an extracellular contrast agent. And T1 mapping is really coming of age and we're beginning to find new insights into pathology in the heart with it. Okay, and is it um, something that can be used without a contrast agent? You say that there are three intrinsic T1, T2 and T2 star, but then the extracellular volume you still need to, look to give gadolinium, is that correct? Yeah, so what you're looking for really is um, that a key biological process, a disease, mm -hmm. changes these things much more than the test's variability, if you like. Okay. So if you take, for example, iron, if, you, if, if the heart becomes uh, infiltrated with iron, it makes major differences to every one of the parameters, T1, T2, and T2 star. And the T2 star technique has uh, changed the health of people with iatrogenic iron overload from transfusions in the UK, because we can now target uh, chelation therapy based on the amount of iron in the key organ, the heart. Now, what does T1 and T2 do? Well, T2 it goes up in edema mainly, and that's useful for detecting acute infarction, area at risk, uh, other inflammations like myocarditis sarcoid. Um, and actually, edema might be a key pathway and the route to fibrosis in lots of scenarios. 
but maybe it isn't always uh, long-lived. So we only see it in sort of troponin-positive patients when they come into hospital. The T1, the native T1, that's without the contrast, goes down in iron, uh, but also in fat storage. Uh, and the key disease where fat seems to be stored is, is Fabry's, uh, heart muscle disease with hypertrophy. T1 goes up with fibrosis, water, uh, edema, and amyloid. And the signal changes in some of these rare diseases like Fabry's and amyloid is really big. And although they're rare when you've got these diseases, it's really important to have the right treatments developed for you and targeted. Um, and these T1 mapping techniques seem to promise the ability to diagnose earlier disease or at least earlier cardiac involvement and to target therapy and help develop therapies. So that your answer implies then that perhaps you can do multiple time point imaging to see if there's a response to, to, to your therapy in these disease states? Yeah, and we're starting to do that. And in iron, for example, it looks like the reproducibility of the test for T1 is better than T2 star, and that may also allow us to see changes earlier to help tune some of these either expensive or toxic therapies. And in amyloid, we're beginning to get new insights because we can actually see the amyloid regression if, for example, you switch light chain production off or if you try some of these new therapies which can potentially remove amyloid. These therapies are in um, the sort of phase one, two development stage currently. Okay, so it may become a very useful sensitive tool for, for clinical trials in some of these diseases. As a surrogate endpoint, I think that's a good uh, use. Remember, I've been talking so far about quite rare diseases where the sure. signal is high. And what we want to do is also is to use these monogenic disease uh, sort of exemplars to help us develop the much more important, if you like, uh, holy grail for CMR mapping, which would be to be able to well quantify fibrosis in the heart. But that's a slightly tougher target because the fibrosis gives less of a signal. I see. And what's the latest on, on gadolinium and uh, the safe use of gadolinium? Has there been any research recently in that area at all? Yeah, I think it is worth talking about that. So gadolinium, if you gave a lot of gadolinium in people with bad kidneys, um, developed a, a scenario called NSF. Um, but that has broadly been globally eliminated by sensitive uh, use of checking for the renal function and good dose use. Okay. Since then, there's been sort of... Uh, some further things where there's been worry about DNA and breaks in DNA, but at the moment that uh, appears to be spurious. And then there's been further work where there's been some lingering of gadolinium in certain areas of the brain if you give it. One thing I would say is that there are two types. Gadolinium is a rare earth and it's collated to a molecule that makes it safe and determines its intra in vivo behavior. And there are two types of collator, a linear one that doesn't bind the gadolinium well, and a cyclic one that binds that gadolinium really tightly. And to date, I think the cyclic ones are looking like the contrast agent that one would want in that the gadolinium just does not disconnect from it. Okay. And are these in clinical practice right now, James, or are they? Oh, yeah. They've been around for, uh, since 1985. So quite a, you know, we're in the fourth decade of their use. Okay. And even, even the tightly held, tightly collated version, is that also widely used as well? So we use it 30 times a day in our service here. Yeah. And I've had the drug uh, many times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as part of a research project, I hope. But uh... Absolutely, yeah, as a healthy <laughs> control. Okay. And um, what's coming up in terms of uh, advanced technologies in the CMR space that our listeners might be interested in? 
Yeah, so you've got the sort of broad, in the UK in particular, there's a sort of, uh, the CMR is translating into, uh, you know, a widespread 50 centres plus clinical tool, uh, really helping care in a wide variety of scenarios. And there's a lot of standardisation and quality control and service delivery sort of work going on. But there are also cutting edge areas. If you have that idea that you need to understand heart uh, pathways, metabolism, and uh, processes better, well, we can start to look at the heart in a lot of new ways. So some of the um, spectroscopy areas are coming forwards as high field strength is becoming more robust. So 3T and even higher magnet strengths are getting good. When you flip the magnetism of hydrogen in the heart, uh, you get a sort of one, two, three parts in a million extra signal, and that's what we detect. But there's a new technique called hyperpolarization that's quite exciting, where you can get 10,000 times the signal. And it may well be that we can start to explore, for example, the metabolic chain much better with some of these techniques. Which of these techniques will stay in the research domain and give us new biological insights and which will become clinically useful is, is very difficult to see, but watch that space. Okay, and just to finish up, you, you touched on something that was uh, discussed at the European Society of Cardiology meeting last week, which was the CE Mark II study by Professor Greenwood. Would you like to give us a, a, a one-minute summary of that study and how you think it might be useful in streamlining the uh, management of patients with uh, chest pain? <laughs> oh uh, John, John is a great friend of mine, and I would defer okay. the questions on the exact details of the study to him. It was more a higher le a higher level opinion that you might have, um, you know, because clearly it was a very interesting study and uh, very successful in terms of managing to corral several centres uh, using. Absolutely, and I think the other thing about it, as as people who take images of the heart, is it, it was a study that looked further. How are we going to care for patients best? Do we need this imaging, or can we go straight to in the invasive tests? Should we focus on making those as safe and effective as possible? And actually, the results of his study showed that actually there was a major role still for the non-invasive assessment of ischemia. Uh, and actually, I think uh, both cameras, if you like, SPECT and CMR, came out well in the study. Um, and when we produce studies like this, and this was a big and very definitive study, I think as that filters through, we need to change our clinical practice and and take account of it in, in the guidelines, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and hopefully it will be part of the next set of NICE guidelines. Well, thank you very much indeed, uh, Professor Moon, for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. Your paper is now live on the Heart website, and I suggest that all listeners go immediately and download it because it's a fascinating read for any non-expert in cardiac MR. Thank you.